1: They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
2: Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films. And I am, as always, joined by the legendary football writer, retired journalist Paddy Barclay, and who will be joining me on the, the trip down Old Trafford history, um, and memory lane and all that sort of stuff and the good the good stuff that comes with it and the bad stuff <laughs> as we will yeah. eventually navigate that as well. Um, if you're watching the video, give it a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening back to us on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. And if you are listening back on the audio, it's always worthwhile going and checking the videos because obviously we put a lot of graphics up on the screen and sometimes we'll be referring to the graphics that are on there as well. We do try to make sure that we're referencing those in the actual show, um, but it's not always the case. Um, So it's good to check out the audio and the video at the same time, well, the video if you listen on the audio. Um, in the last episode, we looked at the 48-49 season, which was another runners-up for Busby and United in the league. This time around, we're going to look at the 49-50 campaign uh, taken into a new decade, the 1950s. And Manchester United were a team for the future, of course. Uh, and this campaign would actually end with um, Busby really trying to pioneer United's future ambitions as well, uh, but early in the season, Paddy, John Anderson transferred out, um, he's mm-hmm. had a couple of years in the side, really about 18 months really, uh, yeah. where he's coming to the side and helped out, uh, but he's
3: gone to Forest. Certainly made his mar- yeah, gone to Forest and certainly made his mark on United history by being, by coming into the team in this season that, that really gave Busby's first great team its name, the 48 team, and and scoring a goal and playing very well in the uh, FA Cup for the classic FA Cup final 1948 but that's uh, John Anderson gone um maybe you know not quite up to the the standard of uh, of some of the players around him yeah um as we talked about last
2: time as well Johnny Morris also gone um yeah. another um identification of Busby's um Eye for a decline, really, that he, because Morris was dropped from the England team this season as well. So it wasn't just that there was the there was the um, the disagreement that they had on the training ground. we'd yeah. also sort of perhaps indicated that he would have to make that change anyway.
3: Well, it's it's interesting that because there was no sign of anything other than brilliance in Morris uh, his, his creative play, is tackling, mm-hmm. even would have gladdened the eye of Jimmy Murphy. Um, and yet, he and he went to Derby for a record, Derby County for a record fee. And in the summer of '49, it, it was a brief England career. It, a meteorite, almost. You know, he he came into the side, scored on his debut in Norway. Uh, got another couple in France. Um, this is in the summer of '49, and and it looks like a great England career is born. Uh, His next match is against the the Republic of Ireland with Johnny Carey, United captain, also captaining Ireland. And and history is made because uh, the match was played at Goodison Park and this was the first time England lost in England. Not at Wembley, but in England. And, uh, uh, well, whatever Morris did uh, in that game or... In his relations with the other players, his performance in training, whatever, never played for England again. So, it uh, as you say, the, the Morris's career, it, it, I wouldn't say it fizzled out. Um, he he continued to play. He have a good and long career, but uh, the greatness that was forecast for him never quite materialised. No, he was um, replaced in the short term by a lad called Tommy
2: Bogan. We'll come into him a little ah. bit later on in the Can I
3: just short... give a, Can I just tell you something on a personal note? When I, I started calling. working in newspapers in Manchester, way way back in the late 1960s, Tommy Bogan was working in the case room, the printer. He was a printer, and uh, and uh, very much one of the lads. So. Uh, have a great fondness for Tommy Bogan. Brilliant. We'll, uh, we'll talk about his contributions to
2: United in, in a short yep. while yep. as we go through the squad summary as always. Um, so the season relay back at Old Trafford. The season started well. Um, the first game back at Old Trafford, they won against Bolton 3-0. I'm going to put up a graphic now on the screen of the crowds outside Old Trafford queuing for tickets, which is mm. just incredible. Um mm. Uh, and then they, a couple of weeks later, they win two-one against Manchester City. Just two defeats in the first nineteen league games. Um, United really started the season well. One of those games is against Sunderland. Uh, it was the first defeat at Old Trafford. I'm just mm-hmm. gonna put up a couple of graphics here. First of all, of the United review uh, from that game and the the team lineup. We we usually show the tactics later on, and I will be doing that again. But you'll see how they lined up in the program there. This is the the team that was um, facing Sunderland that day. Um, the famous uh, reference from a Sunderland point of view is that it was the first of five wins in a row at Old Trafford, and uh, mm. so they really made hay there. Um, mm. Nonetheless, United did recover. Paddy, they scored goals, they played thrilling football. In fact, for a long time in 1950, it looked as though Busby would deliver his first league title. Yeah, they were top in the early part of the year, and then there was this landmark result against Aston Villa, where um, they really played some great football and it included an unusual hat trick from Charlie Miller.
3: Yes, it did. Um, I mean, Charlie, Charlie Mitten was a great penalty taker. and uh, But it looked like he had a bit of a challenge on his hand in the Villa game because um, when United did get a penalty, the Villa goalkeeper, Joe Rutherford, um, was in incredible form. He'd saved two penalties, two penalties at Everton. But of course, he now came up against the master uh, and Charlie Mitten, cheeky as ever, put the ball on the on the spot, stepped back four paces and just pinged the ball past the keeper. It hit the upper part of the stanchion to Rutherford's left, bounced out. United get another penalty, same thing, ping off the stanchion and Rutherford's beaten again. So next time the keeper, there's a third penalty and next time the keeper decides a little gamesmanship so while Charlie's placing the ball, he goes up to him and he says, "Where's this one going, Charlie? Where's it? Where's it going this time, Charlie?" It's a bit of a, you know, working on the law of averages and all that kind of stuff. Charlie says, "Same place," and ping, uh, back <laughs> down off the stanchion. So a hat trick of penalties, all pinged off the same stanchion. Uh, that's that was typical of of Charlie mitten uh, the sheer high school confidence of the guy. Um, Epitomised. Yeah, um, United win seven
2: nil, and I adds another goal in that uh four. And at that point, it does look like they're going to win the title. That's early March, but they have a, a, a you call it a capitulation of sorts. Really, there's four, five defeats in the next sort of eight or nine games. Mm-hmm. They're really hurt by having to switch goalkeepers in the running. They're also having problems uh, scoring and. Uh, when it comes to welcoming Portsmouth in the sort of crunch game at Old Trafford yeah. in mid-April, um, the Crompton's backing goal, but unfortunately mm-hmm. they hurt by losing both of the full-backs, Kerry and Aston are out, and they have to play McNulty and Ball. Yes. Ball, people will remember from earlier episodes, McNulty will introduce in this. Um, so it was a difficult day, really. Portsmouth won
3: 2 nil, Paddy, and... Um, yes. Yeah. Well, it was, it, it, absolutely, Portsmouth um, were one of four contenders, I would say, at, still um, at this, United, uh, obviously, um, Arsenal, Wolves, you know, the usual suspects at that time. But Portsmouth doing very well in the post-war period. And um, the uh, Aston and Kerry weren't injured. It was an international day. And yeah. in those days, as as many... Of yep. the historians listening will will know. the um, You know, you were weakened by internet, rather like club rugby players now. You, you, you're you weakened by international calls on the same day as your league match. And this was the case when, as you say, Ball and McNulty instead of Aston and Carey lined up against Portsmouth. And it, it proved a, a, a costly um, uh, depletion in this case because Portsmouth were a good side. Yeah, um,
2: Portsmouth 1-0 crucial title um, defining result really because it went back to Fratton Park, they were of course the current holders at the time, United Mm -hmm. um, continued their poor run of form by losing 2-1 at Newcastle which yeah. secured their fate. Um, they finished fourth in the end, which was a disappointing climax to a season, which had promised so much just about eight weeks earlier. Really yeah. did look like they were going to win the league. Um, the FA Cup also came with heartache in a sixth round defeat at Chelsea as well. So,
3: Yeah, yeah they'd beaten Portsmouth in the FA Cup, I think. Yeah. Uh, and um, to, just to go back, I, I don't like to interrupt, but the uh, to go back to the... Um, the league match against Portsmouth it was, you mentioned the fullback depletion, but um, it was also a record breaking debutant uh, in oh, the theatre. Yeah. Right? Let's talk about it
2: then, uh, talk about the, the circumstances because it was a record that was set there and I, th- I believe it
3: still stands today. Yeah, well, it was um, Jeff Whitefoot, was a very, very promising uh, wing half midfield player him what you will, a uh, local boy from Cheadle. Um, and he joined at about the same time as Dennis Violet, another local boy. So, you know, he was still, you know, he was still, um, despite the supplanting of, of uh, Louis Rocca with uh, Joe Armstrong as the head of, of, of scouting, Um, with the intention of widening the net. They still like to get the very best of Manchester. And Jeff Whitefoot had been hugely coveted. Um, You know, all the clubs around about Manchester, including City. City, according to Jeff Whitefoot, uh, when I spoke to him for my book about Matt Busby, uh, Jeff told me that Man City actually offered his dad a job um, for, quote, scouting services. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so, you know, there was hot, hot competition uh, for Jeff Whitefoot, but Joe Armstrong won it for United. And Jeff Whitefoot uh, started work in the office um, with the secretary, Walter Crickman, and his assistant by now, uh, Les Olive, a man who was to play a very big part in Manchester United's history over a very long time. And Jeff was the sort of office junior, you know, handing out tickets on match day and and so on. But on this particular match day, when Portsmouth were the visitors, the day before, he was told, you can be in the first team. Um, And uh, because, you know, because of the international calls. And uh, he went, he stayed the night. um, (coughs) United thought about his pre-match nerves and thought he was 16 years, and five days on the on the day of the match so 104 the the day before the match he went he and Dennis Violet were taken to sleep at uh, Jimmy Murphy's house with (laughs) Jeff remembered that he didn't get all that much sleep because of Jimmy and his wife had five kids so it wasn't exactly the most peaceful uh, evening but they they did go um before they went back to bed they um they were taken to the Hume Hippodrome uh, for some entertainment again to try and take the mind off this big match. Um but uh, Whitefoot was said to have done okay in the game. He didn't let the side down although uh, McNulty the one of the two uh, substitute uh, replacement fullbacks was faulted for the first of Portsmouth's two goals.
2: Yeah um we'll talk about Jeff in a, again in a little moment. Um the United um Obviously, it was disappointing to finish in fourth uh, and, and to have the um,
3: end in the FA Cup in the sixth round. Yeah, they also a, um, actually won the league. So, yeah. you know, in a, in a sense, there's no, no great disgrace in that defeat. Especially with the weakened side, like saying With and, a weakened side, yeah, been, exactly. Uh, coming in too well.
2: Um, but yeah, a few problems. I mean, United lost more games than normal, um, as, as would be reflected in the fact that they dropped down the table. Also scored um quite significantly fewer number goals this time around 69 and at the conceding at a rate is still just about around a goal a game which is par for the course for united at the time um so while the short-term prospects paddy were um stalled for a little while you know they'd have to wait until the next season to go again um busby also had visions off the field um he had all kinds of ideas of how he wanted to establish united as a, a presence in the game really and this was, as we'll come to in future episodes, um, married perfectly with the evolution of the game, but when mm. the game wasn't moving at the same pace, um, there was a post-season tour, wasn't there, really, that, that talks a lot about um, Busby's drive
3: to push United into a, a greater global um, presence, really. Yes, yes, the tour was of uh, of, of North America. It was a, It was a very extensive one it proved to be historic as we will, as you say, deal with, um, very shortly in, in further episodes, as the, as the series moves on. Um, but yes, um, it was a, it was an extensive tour of South America. Um, it took place also 1950. Um, people will know that that was a world cup summer. Um, so there was, uh, you know, there was a, a lot of the, a few of the United players had had thoughts of that as well as they ended the season. Um, United had current internationals such as Rowley, such as um, uh, such as um, well, who were the who were the others that have been at that time? Uh, uh, Aston, Aston. You know, these were all players looking forward to the world uh, to the World Cup. Yeah. It was, a, it was a momentous summer, though, for more than the duo. And we'll talk about Louis Rocco's death, I'm, I'm sure, in a couple of seconds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll run through the squad
2: statistics, then, as we um, usually do, with the introduction of players. Um, Jack Crompton was a senior goalkeeper. Yeah, he's yeah, another just, goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, We'll get into the um, differing um, fortunes of these ones because it's quite funny, really, uh, when you look at the, the numbers, um, they give a different reflection on what, be, what yeah. you might expect. So, Jack had suffered, um, not his back injury, that, that had sort of been cleared up by the cup final and everything, but he, he was becoming more injury-prone and, and yes, suffered a wrist course. injury that kept him out of 15 games this season. And those 15 games, first of all, Sonny Feehan came in yeah. and he played... Um, he played 12 league games, really. He came in from Waterford. Again, mm. um, a short goalkeeper at 5'11", but the, uh, it wasn't really a big deal at the time, as we've covered in previous episodes. This was his single season. These 14 appearances came in all competitions, 12 in the league, as I said. Um, another of the standings was a fella called Joe Lancaster. Mm. Another mm. of these one-season wonders. Um, he signed as a trainee in May 49. He was called into the side before he was even a professional and signed as a pro during his run of four appearances, um, which all came this season. Um, he kept two clean sheets in his first two against Chelsea and Watford, but then conceded two and three goals against Burnley and Portsmouth, uh, respectively, Portsmouth in the, in the cup game, which Paddy spoke about earlier. Mm. The um, fourth goalkeeper he used this season made one one appearance a lad called Ray Wood, Paddy, um, signed yeah. from Hamilton. He'd already played 12 league appearances there, only 19 at the time, but a sign mm-hmm. of the confidence Busby had in him to play. Only one well, appearance against
3: Newcastle in December, but unlike Lancaster and Fien, um Wood would stick around. Yes, absolutely. Wood was to, was to have a major part in Manchester United history under under Busby. very, very gifted uh, goalkeeper, still young at this stage, um, and the I the the fact that that Busby needed an experienced man was was it, it was shown when he made yet one more attempt to sign Frank Swift, but not from Manchester City. And it's a trick question, Wayne, and I, I feel ashamed to ask you, but uh, tell me from whom he would have signed if if Busby had been successful in getting him?
2: Well, uh, from Frank Swift. Any student of Manchester United with the salt would have read your book on Sir Matt Busby and they, would, <laughs> they would know that they tried to sign him from the News of the World. The
3: News of the World. Frank Swift had retired from Manchester City and become a journalist on the News of the World. Um, and um, Matt offered him compensation to come out of retirement and play for, he was 36 by now and he politely declined because I, I mean ray wood was to become uh, regular um and, and was obviously had promise but matt still felt that he needed someone to tide him through for the the many occasions where where jack crofton um, was cropped yeah um, club captain johnny carey made 38 appearances
2: 43 in all competitions with yep. one legal um john aston made um, 40 appearances, 45 in all competitions. The fullbacks' uh, backups were John Ball with 13 appearances, Tommy Lowry with three appearances, Sammy Lin with 10 appearances, and um, Tom McNulty, who made the first two of his 60 appearances for the club. Um, we'll talk about his very special place in United history a little bit later on. Uh, but Tom McNulty, um, full played a couple of appearances here in this season. Um, in the halfback line, um, although you've, as we've said in previous episodes, Alan B. Chilton was more of a conventional centre-half um, centre-back. He yeah. played 35 appearances, uh, 14 all competitions with one league goal. Henry Coburn, uh, exactly the same record, 40 appearances in all competitions, 35 in the league and one goal. Billy McGlenn in the halfback line, 13 yeah. appearances and 14 in all competitions and um, Jack Warner, who would usually play there, um, in the place of Anderson, who's now moved on. There's 25 appearances in all competitions, and 21 in the league. Which brings us on to some of the um, peripheral squad members who came into the side. Jeff Whitefoot, as we have earlier mentioned, he made just that one appearance, that record-breaking appearance, record-breaking and record-making, really, yeah, which has stood the test of time. Um, really, you would say, in... in addition to Ray Wood, the first of what would be described as the Busby Babes because of Mm -hmm. uh, the the way that they were being integrated into the side. Um, Yeah, As Paddy's already described, the the story of him signing there uh, a real strong example of that scouting system at United coming into Mm.
3: uh, fruition already. Um, Mm. Brian Sorry, carry on. I'll give you one uh, when you've finished going through the squad, I'll give you one one player one player who became very famous who busby didn't land busby and armstrong didn't land but carry on with the squad because this is yeah name. sure
2: um brian birch one appearance uh, one of his 15 um his third game he played in the third game against west brom he was only 17 but busby was yeah. reconfiguring that forward line diminutive lad at five foot six uh better days to come but just a single appearance um, this season Tommy Bogan, as we've already mentioned earlier in yeah. the um, episode. So he, he came into side, um, signed in the summer. He, he played 18 league games, scored four goals, 22 games in all appearances this season. Um, and the forward line also um, included the likes of Ted Buckle, who we've mentioned in previous episodes. He scored seven, oh, he played seven times, didn't score a goal. And then we go into the famous front um, line of um, you know Rowley and so on. So Rowley was top scorer again, 23 goals in all competitions, 39 appearances, and um, 20 of those goals were in the league. 39 of the appearances were in the league. Stan Pearson, obviously a great goal scorer and an inside forward of, of esteemed class, scored 15 goals in 41 appearances, 17 in 45 in all competitions, Charlie Mitten's hat trick and four goals in fights against Aston Villa were four of 19 in 47 in all competitions, 16 in 42 in the league. Jimmy Delaney, that um fantastic winger, six goals in 47, but many more provided um for, for the inside uh forwards and center forwards like Roley Mitten Pearson and John Downey, who scored seven in 20. Six in 18 in the league, and and the forward line is completed by the introduction of Frank Clemson, a forward, um, a versatile player, really, because he was an inside forward or wing off another local lad coming through the ranks with just a single appearance this season at inside forward. As I mentioned, Rowley was the, the top scorer. And the attendance record for the season was forty-two thousand and sixty-four. As United got used to playing Old Trafford again, uh, Paddy mentioned the uh, player that United failed
3: to get, other than Frank Swift. Yes, absolutely. But around the same time that uh, Joe Armstrong was, uh, you know, netting such notables uh, from the local ranks as Dennis Violet and um, and Jeff Whitefoot, uh, another young player was uh, busby was alerted to another young player this was an outside left a, a wiry winger um and by the name of brian statham very very uh promising <clears throat> outside left um but his dad wanted him to pursue a, a cricketing career and it's just as well of course because as every sports fan uh, ought to know Brian Statham went on to become one of England's greatest fast bowlers of all time, forming uh, a partnership with Freddie Truman uh, of Yorkshire. So you know, Lancashire, York, he played for Lancashire, Lancashire, Yorkshire combination that became one of the greatest uh, fast bowling partnerships in the world and is still renowned. Um, so Brian Statham probably made a, a good decision there, though who knows uh, that he could have... Uh, he could have become uh, United's outside left in succession uh, to, uh, to Charlie Mitten. Yeah. And um, if he'd had the um,
2: testitude of um, a player like Arnie Sidebottom, he could have done both. Mm. The, uh, have done both. <laughs> it's true. a name for the future uh, of this uh, podcast. Uh, go through the tactics. Um, again, the position by position run is the same. I've put Warner in at um, yeah.
3: half-back, and it he, he was him mostly, but also... Well, he, he must have been cracking on by then, Jack Warner, heavens, yeah. He must have been 37, 38 by now.
2: Yeah, but... obviously he had to come in because of Anderson's departure, you know. United yeah. Uh, yeah. And Downey again, we mentioned Downey, but it's just as likely that that's um, yeah. Tommy Bogan's
3: place as well. Yeah. So, Downey, who, who was bought to replace... Uh, Morris, but uh, never quite. Maybe injuries didn't help, but uh, yes, he he made enough appearances and scored enough goals to, to justify his place in that team. Yeah, yeah. Um, the United review, as we mentioned
2: earlier, remained the same with the handshake at the top. The colors again were red, white, and black at home, as they will be throughout the series. There's only one ever yeah. um amendment to that um, blue, white, and um, black socks away from home. They they did have a change in the previous season with blue Sox, but they've uh, gone back to black socks now. Mm-hmm. Um, the key results, as I, I put up a slide from the, um, I put up a slide from the gaming. Well, one of the games in the America tour, the, the American mm-hmm. League All Stars. Um, that's a squad picture, which I'll, I'll put up a bigger splash of the squad picture as well in a moment. But the key results this season. And um, We're defeating Bolton, and Old Trafford, in the first home game um, after returning from Main Road. Defeating Portsmouth in, away in the cup to prove their standard. and um, The 7-0 win over Aston Villa. And obviously the 2-0 defeat to Portsmouth was a key result as well. Um, elsewhere then, Paddy, in, in this season, as we always do, a quick summary of what was happening in British football. Portsmouth did retain the goal difference, uh, the, the title on goal average, sorry, from Wolves um in in the league elsewhere Manchester city were relegated which um would have be been mm. to the delight of um many Manchester United fans although the rivalry wasn't quite strong it was quite friendly back in those days uh, mm. Arsenal were the FA Cup winners and as you mentioned paddy um perhaps we'll talk about the significance of this in future episodes but in july 1950. Uh, the passing of Louis Rocca right at the moment where the discoveries of his successor were about to start making waves. Yes, I,
3: I absolutely. And, and But, of course, Louis Rocca's funeral uh, in the summer of 1950 was, as you say, a very um, significant affair in the history of Manchester United. And this was showing. he was he was only 67, Louis Rocca, but he'd still given way over half a century's service to Manchester United then, before that, Newton Heath. Um, there was a requiem mass at his old church in Ancoats. The body was taken to St. Joseph's Cemetery in Moston and buried in the presence of Man United staff, supporters, and players past and present, um, including Billy Meredith, who um, was, was, was one of the, the greats of the early days. And as his coffin was lowered, um, a little square of the Old Trafford turf was laid on top, appropriately, um, and that was, so that was um, Louis Roca uh, gone, but never to be forgotten.
2: Absolutely not, and um, if there's one thing that I hope has come across in these first few episodes of this series is just how important Louis's contribution was to Manchester United, and I always find that um, there In football, as in life, there are weird sort of little coincidences, and I always found it a little bit weird and touching that Louis passed just before the fruits of his labor really, you know, were they Mm. bloomed into something that they couldn't have imagined. Similar in a way to the way that Jimmy Murphy and Matt Busby passed away just before United became machine in the late 90s but life is like that and um no one at old trafford was going to forget what louis rocker had done for them that's for sure even if there remained some contention about uh, whether or not he did give the club its name but um (laughs) well we'll give him that one He, he did plenty more besides even if he didn't do that um yeah if you're watching this video please do give it a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comment section if you're listening to the audio podcast please do be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on thanks for watching and listening and we will be back next time to talk about um, another landmark season in the history of united as the integration of the busby babes gathers pace
1: the talk Sport fan network is proudly teaming up with free for mental health awareness week this year as football fans we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds however